Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's episode 212 for January 19th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about tips for working with reclaimed lumber, buying workbench lumber, and are dovetail saddle markers lazy woodworking? All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Brusso has been making high-precision hardware here in the United States for over 20 years. When you spend weeks crafting the perfect box or cabinet, why would you use anything but the highest quality hardware? The entire line is available in brass and stainless steel at brusso.com. And hey, while you're there, you should check out those new knife hinge installation templates. As a special offer, just to Wood Talk listeners, use that code WoodTalk at checkout and get 10% off. So that's at Brusso. Uh, I believe it's brusso.com. Yeah, brusso.com. Great place to go. 10% off. Use the code WoodTalk. And we also want to thank Greg Wieg, who went to Wood Talk Show, looked for those donation links, and made a small donation. Actually, I'm not going to tell you how much it is, because it's kind of like a woman telling her age. We just don't do that. Uh, but thank you, Greg, for making that donation. We appreciate the support. And gentlemen, let's just get right to what's on the bench while my uh, throat and my... It's just another sick week for me, so I'm, I'm trying to hang in there as best I can. So let's do a show. I made sure to put a mask over my face just in case somehow something transmits <laughs> through the internet because you just don't know with some of the upgrades lately. <laughs> right. That smell of vision really is not good. Yeah. And I thought generally speaking, like when you go, I guess in Asian countries, a lot of times you see they wear the mask. And I heard that it's basically the people who are sick who are doing it as a courtesy to not get everyone else sick. They're wearing the mask. I think that's oh, what I heard. I just assumed it was like one of those. I don't trust any of you. <laughs> yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Someone let us know. Give us some kickback on that very important detail. Yeah, some sick person <laughs> in Asia. Please, please kick back. To yeah, us. Let us know. All right. So preferably get the mask out of the way so we can hear you. Yes, please. <laughs> All right. What's on the bench uh, for me? You know, still haven't really gotten into the big uh, the big swing of the new build yet because uh, just, you know, family issues and things caused me to postpone. Uh, but I did have a few minutes and took. It's kind of an interesting thing. I took an old project. This seems like maybe 10 years old at this point. The old zebra wood 
a carved sitting bench, which was the model, or I called it the prototype for what became um, a nice curved sitting bench that we did in the guild. So the original was kind of just sat in our office for years. Then when we had a kid, it was perfect for going like right next to Mateo's crib. And we'd be able to sit there and kind of put your arm over the crib and do all that stupid crap you have to do with babies. And, uh, and then since then it's just been sitting around, excuse me, sitting around doing nothing again. So Nicole goes, you know, I could kind of use a little shower bench. And I was like, well, this thing is sitting here and I wouldn't normally put this in the shower, but but what else were we going to do with it? Let's try it. So what I decided to do was I took this thing that only had like my simple varnish finish kind of finish on it, like a very light duty uh, poly finish and epiphane the crap out of it. So it's got like a couple coats of marine varnish on it, which not my favorite finish, you know, like a nice <laughs> thick coating of plastic. Uh, looks like the thing's been wrapped in several coats of saran wrap. Uh, right. But you know what? It's probably going to be waterproof. Uh, which is kind of the goal. So I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see how well this holds up. And I, I think that's the fun thing about having projects that you've made uh, that, you know, 10 years goes by, you might not be so attached to it. So if something happens to it, yeah, I'll fix it. I'll repair the finish. Or if it, you know, God forbid, it just totally gets screwed up. I'm not sure that I care that much. It's, it's been around for a while. It served its purpose. So it's going to be in the shower. How many people are going to be in there, you know, seeing that in the shower? Exactly. Um, yeah. 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 It's kind of a personal question, right? It, well, well, yeah, I know. I saw these things that came out. I'm like, well, um, I'm not really sure Mark and Nicole's well, it, uh, relationship. I should probably just uh, move depend- on to the next topic. Well, not everybody. I know why Nicole's so lazy that she has to sit down in the shower. I'll tell you the truth. It's not for her to sit down on it. So she has something to shave her legs on by putting, I, putting her leg up. Okay. I'm glad I had that in my head. I'm like, uh, let's see. Lady demands then uh, legs. Okay. Yeah. yeah because honestly, <laughs> my, my, my grandma had a shower bench that I had refinished for, for my mom. Uh, while she was still around and um, that thing is still doing well. And I coated it also with epiphanes, uh, but it was like, it's one of those shower benches that's like meant to be a shower bench with a, a metal frame and rubber feet. And then a top is just kind of looks like, you know, teak decking material or something. Uh, so that held up pretty well. This, I don't know. We'll see. But the whole point is it's a, it's a fun experiment because now I can uh, do this and basically give this thing a torture test of moisture and just see what happens and be able to tell people a couple of years from now, well, that, that didn't hold up so well, or it did hold up well. This thing is bulletproof. You know? <laughs> there you go. Exactly. <laughs> so a lot of, a lot, I posted something about it on Facebook and a lot of people are like, well, that's really expensive. All that zero wood. What a waste. And it's like, look, you know, what's a waste. This thing's sitting in my laundry room doing nothing. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and, and now it's actually serving a purpose. I wouldn't call that a waste. It's a little bit of an experiment and maybe, you know, not what you would normally do with it, but it's definitely not a waste. No, it should. It, now, have you done anything like to rough up the surface? So at least she's got something to kind of, you know, when she puts her leg up there or something that she's not going to slide right off of it, because <laughs> if it's too smooth, now you're ruining she's going to go flying right out of the shower. You're ruining my secret plans, Matt. Oh, sorry. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, any insurance Wait, companies, gonna... just ignore the claim when it comes in. Don't listen to yeah, this. Episode. We have very, very good insurance policies, Matt. Uh, so <laughs> please. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's crossed my mind. The thing is, the stuff is so high gloss that I had to do something to it. I had to kind of not really rough it up for the texture, but rough it up so it doesn't look like, a, you know, like, a, I don't know, a speedboat going down, <laughs> going down a river somewhere. Uh, it really has that deck look that you see on, I don't know, it just it reminds me of... I went on a cruise for my for my honeymoon and the handles, um, the rails on the cruise ship were just coated in just like an inch thick of varnish. 
and it's kind of got that sort of thing going on. So I just knocked down it, the, the gloss a little bit. So it's a little bit like easier on the eyes, but uh, it looks like icing on a, on a cupcake. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So well, hopefully she'll be careful. You know, we'll see. Well, you know, worst comes to worst. If it does turn out that the finish is really, really, you know, strong, it can hold up to this. Yeah. Maybe it can once again be repurposed further down the line when you actually have to get a medical one for other reasons. You could put like maybe some skis on the bottom of this and we could create a whole new water sport being <laughs> pulled behind a boat. It could very well be. Yeah. I mean, why stop at the shower? We can just move on to the next thing. Exactly. Why not? Yeah. Cool. All right, Matt. Well, what about you? Well, the big thing for me is actually we got a little bit of a theme going on here. I didn't realize this. Uh, over the weekend, we ended up going back to visit my mother-in-law on the other side of the state. Unfortunately, at Christmas time, she usually comes over here, but she got really, really sick. Uh, so we told her stay home because we don't want the rest of our year ruined because of your need to see us. <laughs> other things in there too, but that's the one that we're sticking to. Mm-hmm. So we went back to visit with her and uh, typically what ends up happening is my wife and my mother-in-law will decide that they need to get away from the three of us, me and the two kids. So I'm stuck at my mother-in-law's house with absolutely nothing to do. And so I, I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? This might be a neat opportunity to go back through and look at several of the projects that I ended up building for her really early on in the beginning of my woodworking and just see how much of it I want to completely destroy so that nobody <laughs> ever sees these things. Or on the flip side, are there things that I did in the original designs like for some of these projects that I don't do them now and I don't know why I stopped doing them or maybe I – I actually do know why I do it. And again, I want to hide that information. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a fun trip down memory lane, going through a bunch of things and finding uh, those like three projects I think I ended up finding. And I took some pictures. I plan on doing a blog post because there's a couple of them for sure that I'm like, I used to do that. <laughs> why don't I do it now? That's weird. <laughs> nice. Nice. It is always exciting to go back and look at the old stuff and reminisce. And yeah, there's some that I would rather not see and forget yeah. that I ever did. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely one that I'm like, oh, my Lord, we need to pile some more stuff on top of this. <laughs> yeah, there are projects I ship 2,000 miles west to my mom for a reason. <laughs> were there, <laughs> to stay 2,000 miles away. Were there any surprises That's, with some of them, like things holding up that you didn't expect to or vice versa? Uh, for sure, one of them. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I'm, I'm really, really shocked because, again, I have rediscovered – or I didn't have it rediscovered. I have proven – once again, I had a complete love and fascination for uh, wood putty. Um, <laughs> wood putty can cure everything. Yeah, and yeah. while it has held up for a little over a decade now, uh, it is starting to uh, disappear. So it's either I go back in with a palette knife and start just putting that stuff on there like crazy or – we just chalk it up to maybe, I, I don't know, I can pass it off as somebody else built it for her. <laughs> but amazingly, this stuff is still really sticking together. And the funny thing is there's a couple of uh, of components where I look at it and go, I totally stole that from Norm Abram. That right there. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with that. Good old Norm. <laughs> Absolutely. So that was that was the big thing that I had going. And it was really fun. Like I said, I'm going to do a blog post about it somewhere down the line. Uh, but Shannon, now you... You got you were shopping for odds and ends. I sometimes have a hard time reading what this says. Yeah, this this was my week to catch up on little odds and ends in the shop. Um, I've had a couple of um, skew rabbit planes that I bought. Good lord, it's almost embarrassing to admit how long ago I bought them and haven't done anything with. Um, so there was some 
some fun time spent at the stone lapping and grinding and taking a vintage plane who somebody uh took a major shortcut and put like a massive back bevel on the blade. <laughs> so I was, it was lapping for like 30 minutes and then I started grinding away the, you know, I took, I think I took about an eighth of an inch off the end, like 90 degrees to the the blade itself to get rid of that back bevel and um, spent some time restoring a couple of jack planes. I gave away uh, three jack planes beginning of this year to uh, just random people who joined the hand tool school. Nice. So plain rust removal, lapping blades. And then I finally got around to gluing leather onto the underside of my holdfasts. Um, it was one of those things where, I, if you guys remember uh, Schwarz's first workbench book, the blue one, mm-hmm. he had the idea of taking a piece of softwood and kind of drilling a hole in it and putting that around like the, the shaft of the holdfast. So that it, um, you can slide that around and put it between your workpiece and the holdfast. But at the same time, it's a separate piece that is just swinging around on the post. And I did that for a while, and it just got kind of got annoying. And I got rid of it, and I took a couple of blocks of uh, uh, really really dense hardwood and put leather on that. And those were like my holdfast pads. And I just kept thinking, you know, I should glue glue leather on the other side of these holdfasts. And I kept thinking, well, I don't know what glue I should use. And that just made me go, I'll deal with that later. Well, yesterday I was like, this is stupid. I almost closed my eyes and reached into the glue cabinet and I came (laughs) up with white gorilla glue. It was literally the one in front. Um, my, my choices were epoxy, tight bond, CA hide glue or white gorilla glue. That's what's in the cabinet. And my hand fell on the white gorilla glue first and glued (laughs) it up. And I was using them all day today. And, you know, the leather's not budging and maybe it'll come off three months from now. Who knows? Maybe I should have used something else, but it's, uh, it was just one of those stupid things that I wasn't doing it because I was thinking I didn't know what glue I should use. And I knew that there's websites out there that tell me what glue would work best. And I just like, I don't feel like visiting those websites. Oh, nice. So it was just, it was kind of the microcosm of the typical amateur woodworker who overanalyzes everything and therefore gets nothing done. Um, so yeah, all of, uh, what, five minutes to chop up some leather, glue them onto the holdfasts. And the funny thing about holdfasts is they're self-clamping, you know, yeah, yeah. glue them on there, whack them down to the bench. And yeah, so I got that done. I like that. Was, I've never made any, any calls type things for that little pads like that, but that's a great idea. Just to have like a little bucket of them under the bench and they're always there for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is, um, some really nice thick quarter inch leather. Uh, when I made a, a a carving gouge strop a couple of years ago, I ordered a piece of leather leather from a McMaster car and it came in, I think the shortest length it came in was 36 inches. So I ended up cutting it off to make a, like a 15 inch long strop. And I've had this length of leather kicking around the shop for several years. Wow. So it was, it was nice and thick. Quarter too, inch so it's thick. really Damn. cushy. That's crazy. On the underside man. of the hold fast. Uh, for the record, I would have used contact cement if you had any. What, what about epoxy? I used contact cement on the chop of my leg vise, my rubo. Yeah. And it has constantly, the corners have constantly peeled back. Oh, really? On that. Um, so I eventually just used hide glue and that's stuck. Gotcha. I used hide glue on the, the moxin chop on my joiner bench and that hasn't budged at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's wood. That's leather to wood. So right. who right. knows? Oh, um, interesting. Keep us updated on that. I'd be curious to see how it holds up. Well, you know, the one issue I did have with this, and I, I hope maybe you you fixed it since posting uh, pictures of it. I think it was over on Twitter or something. Please tell me that you went back through and shaped the leather to the uh, the tip of the holdfast because 
as not that I'm a major OCD woodworker, but that would drive me insane. Oh, I did. Okay. And yeah. and I slightly chamfered the bottom edge. That was my next question. Thank oh, you. Yeah. I was They're I was almost now. breaking out in sweat here thinking about not doing that. Yep, I, I shaved it exactly to the shape of the holdfast. It's absolutely beautiful now. No worries, Matt. Okay, so I, I feel like I'm the like the idiot who's late to the conversation. I didn't realize you're gluing just the raw leather to your holdfast. Yes. I'm yes. such a dummy. I'm thinking leather. you made calls that were just like leather backed. Uh, with I did that. I did that several years ago, and that's what I've been using. Yeah, and we probably will continue to use that because of the the way a call will spread clamping pressure across the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, I still will keep those around for that purpose. But okay. Okay. it's one of those things where um, I only made two of them, and invariably they ended up on the other side of the bench or over on the joinery bench from where I happened to need the hold fast at that particular time. Gotcha. So, okay, this was just one of those things that I've been thinking about doing, and I think also as far as how the glue. The glue will hold. I think it will hold better because I'm using a thicker piece of leather. Yeah. If you if you like went to Michaels and bought that like craft suede or whatever that's like a sixteenth of an inch thick, that's so much more flexible that I think that it might peel away. Whereas this is some really beefy quarter inch thick stuff. I think it will hold on a lot better. Yeah. Well, that's exactly why Matt uses that to make his pants. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. he Absolutely. likes the, he likes the flexibility. <laughs> he likes you know to have suede, but sometimes yeah. you need to move your legs a little bit. Right, and the, the, the dazzler works better with the thinner stuff too. <laughs> I do have to be careful though sometimes when I'm hanging out in fields because people, if I don't move around fast enough, people assume that they can just come over and tip me, <laughs> and I don't like that as much as it, when I was younger. That's terrible, Matt. We like you because you're cuddly. All right. <laughs> well, I don't like it when they come up with cold hands and try to milk me. Don't even get me started on that one. Ooh, you just give a little giggle chortle when they do that. <laughs> Warm those up there, buddy. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, move into the next section. Oh, my Lord. Come on, that was good. Of that that one. was well-timed. Uh, was- moving into what's new. We don't have a whole lot to share here, but Shannon, you want to give away the link yeah, you got there? There's not a lot new. Um, this is a, an email came in from Jeremy Crewalt down in the land down under in of New South Wales, I think is where he is. Whatever. One of those places in Australia. Cool. They are, um, there's a company down there that has just started f- logging underwater and the under underwater forests that get flooded anytime a dam is put up and they flood the whole valley or whatever. There are a bunch of very rare species that this sunken wood company is going in and actually logging and bringing the wood to light. We've talked about this before with some of the Cuban mahogany and some of the South American mahogany down in Belize and other parts of Latin America. This is now Australian wood. And it's a, it's a cool video about eight minutes long of uh, what, what goes into it, but then also how the stuff is working. And uh, I don't know, it's kind of exciting. This is a company that's planning on doing a lot more of this. So there's a good possibility we're going to see some new woods hitting the market. Um, at least in Australia anyway. Cool. That's good good video to watch. Very nice. All right. We got to skip the poll. I'm still trying to get things back together. The uh, maybe, (laughs) maybe I'll put this under what's new is the new wood whisperer website is out and uh, we've just trying to been trying. It's like reorganizing everything and it's highlighting posts that are so old that I don't even have like associated thumbnails with them. So it's just a gray box. Uh, There's just been a ton of work and we're squashing bugs as we go trying to get everything to, to work the way it's supposed to work. Uh, but because of that, I haven't actually gotten back to my regular posting schedule. So, uh, I've, I've had Tom on hold. He's got, he's got polls that are pent up, just ready to do like all over the place. So as soon as he's, (laughs) as soon as I give him permission to go, we'll get the polls back in here. 
if if that pent up is like anything like Tom's normal personality, oh my gosh, how are you containing that? Yeah, well, Seriously, with uh, six inch steel walls, that's how we have to do it. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's jump into kickback. Some feedback from you guys, and uh, actually, both pieces of kickback this week are on the stretched ear guy and uh, making plugs. So Miles wrote in, he says, hi guys. In response to the question on the show about making plugs, I felt I could give some valuable input. What actually got me into the craft was wanting to make plugs for myself. See, that's cool. Like you never know how people get into woodworking. I got it because you got into it. Cause I needed to do some home renovations and had tools when I was all done and said, what else can I do with these tools? Uh, this guy I got needed- into it for the women. That's right. That is actually a great uh, extra benefit that people have to be prepared for. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, Miles gets into it because he wants to make plugs for his ears. That's so cool. All right, anyway, where the hell did I leave off? Um, (laughs) Okay, so through a lot of research and experimentation on myself, I found the following. Domestics generally are too soft for a good set of plugs to wear every day. They will wear out and absorb things too easily. Besides a few select species, diffused porous woods are best for comfort and health of the ear. Having large, sharp holes constantly in contact with with the skin... Uh, that is under constant pressure from the elasticity of the skin will irritate your ears and can cause shallow open sores. Mm. That's the price you pay for fashion, baby. Uh, Wood toxicity with a simple internet search. You can find charts on allergens in various species, uh, but there's only a few that I found that have ever been a problem. um, And he's going based on his results and his customers. He says flare size. I found the ideal flare size for the average ears to be around 0.06 inches. Sanding 800 grit or higher is important to have durable plugs that uh, won't absorb things too easily and will be comfortable. Finish a thin coat of beeswax is generally considered best. After you rub it out to a non tacky feel, pretty much all the beeswax is off of the surface and only in the pores. Personally, I would say avoid all other finishes and just coat with beeswax beeswax slash food safe mineral oil mix or uh, jojoba oil. Great for your skin, but less awesome for the plugs uh, every once in a while. So interesting stuff. It's a whole world of earplug making. Who knew? Who really knew? We didn't, clearly. So Obviously, I had something else in my ears, so I completely (laughs) missed this one. Yep. Sweet. Well, the next one came in from Will, and as you said, this is kind of feeding off of that that topic. And Will says, I actually ended up, because Will, before I I should say this as I started to read it, it's linked on me, Will was the person who asked the question. Yes. So he's kicking back on his own own information. Attaboy. So Will says, I actually ended up trying to make my own plugs before I heard your answer, and they turned out pretty well. I used teak and rubbed some jojoba oil onto them, and I have worn them in the past two weeks and have not had any negative reaction or ear funk, as Mark would like to call it. I thought it was ear juice. It's ear juice. Uh, that was a ear juice. Title oh, ear juice case. is a technical term. <laughs> well, Will has a whole new one. Apparently, Well, if Will's in the industry making them, I think he's probably more familiar with what the actual term is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So anyways, Will wants to say – Goes on to say, the jig I used was basically two scraps, scrap pieces of plywood joined at 90 degrees. I put a th- uh, screw through the horizontal piece and ground down the threads for the bottom support for the workpiece. For the top, I drilled a screw into the workpiece and cut off the head. I lined everything up and clamped it to the drill press table. So that last part, obviously, remember I, he asked us about the uh, the drill press lathe or how to yeah, do yeah, like yeah. a lathe action on a drill press. So I'm assuming that's what he ended up doing to get this done. And it sounds like, as he said, it turned out pretty well. Nice. Well, I'll Hmm. tell you what, guys. That's kind of cool. Here's what I'm thinking. The next woodworking in America, you know how like good friends, close people will will go out and get like tattoos together. We should go get our ears stretched together at the next woodworking in America. Mm, Okay. Did I mention that I've been forbidden to ever attend another one? (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, All right. Let's uh, move into our email. 
And the first one, this is uh, interesting. I kind of cheated today. Like normally I answer my <gasps> own emails. Yeah, I know. It's terrible. Uh, but this one was so good and I happened to know somebody in the industry and I thought I would uh, let them show off their knowledge and uh, give them a little plug at the same time. Oh, well, in that case, I've done that how many times? So you have. you're in good company. You actually have. I think you've done it with milk paint. You've done uh-huh. it with... Uh, it was a design question. That's right. You had your friend, the designer. Uh, yeah. All right. So Derek wrote in and asked, how does one keep the rusticness and character of reclaimed wood when using it in projects? Won't running these boards through a jointer and planer to make the boards flat and straight remove all of the look? Or is it considered more acceptable on a rustic piece to sacrifice nice glue-ups and joinery for the aged look? Or is there a middle ground? So I sent off a message to uh, a local guy here, Thomas Porter at Porter. Uh, yeah, let me screw that up again. <laughs> Thomas Porter at PorterBarnwood.com. Now, these guys are in Phoenix, and I have had the good fortune of going to one of their locations. Uh, I guess they moved recently, so I might have been at the old one. Um, but a great facility. They get lots of barn wood and all kinds of like reclaimed stuff that normally in Phoenix, we, it's not like we have old barns here. Most of the stuff that's here is only 35 years old to begin with. Um, so they, they get it from everywhere else and they pull it in and just make, they not only source the materials, they actually do a lot of processing of the materials and putting this stuff in people's houses locally. So there's a ton of examples of their work on their website. And I figured these would be the guys to ask, what do you do? How do you handle the situation? Um, so this is all, uh, Thomas's words here. He says, never sacrifice proper joinery and strength just because it's reclaimed. But there's certainly times when you want to show some very rough and rugged texture when it may make joinery a little bit more tricky. I'll say that modern tools have made working with reclaimed wood much easier. For instance, the Festool Domino is awesome. We use the Domino Excel on breadboard ends for tables, complicated tops, or mock joinery. Most of the time when we're talking about keeping texture versus proper joinery, we talk about glue-ups, primarily tabletops. Here are some key things that we do that'll help make the job easier. Number one, start with the right wood for the look. For instance, if it may look too rough on the outside, uh, but if it's oak, it may be wonderfully sound on the inside. If you plane it slightly on the top and do most of your thicknessing on the side that isn't seen, you can end up with a board that has lots of beautiful checking, cracking, patina, iron stains, etc. without getting to the new wood below. Also, minimizing planing and focusing primarily on sanding that surface will keep more of the texture. Number two, use straighter pieces. Obviously, the less you have to work the wood, the less patina you'll take off. Number three, don't be afraid to blend. On glue-ups where the top is relatively flat but the jointed edges of the board don't perfectly mate up because of the rough texture on the top, blend the boards together. We do this in our shop by using an angle grinder that has a sanding disc. 36 grit cling spore is what we typically use. Then we get into it with the random orbit sander starting at around 60 grit and moving up to 120. This gives us a smooth enough blend to hit the top with a brush sander or random orbits to make the top 180 to 220 depending on the finish that we're putting on. Number four, finishing can be key. We use some different finishing and distressing techniques when we lacquer our projects, including dirty brushing, in quotes, uh, in which we use a tint on a dirty brush to get into the cracks and crevices, etc. It makes for more of a contrast in the natural blemished areas of the wood. Now, it gives us some links to uh, different projects that show the reclaimed texture and traditional joinery, some cabinet making techniques. And I'll put these links right into the answer on the show notes for this question. So thank you very much, Thomas, for that uh, detailed answer. And you should definitely go to porterbarnwood.com to see more of Thomas's and uh, and his people that work with him. Uh, see what they're up to. Very, I'm not very quite nice. following what he's talking about when he says blending. Um, is this just instead of 
joining and getting a straight edge to, to a straight edge. He's just kind of spot matching. I mean, mm, I'm re- rereading it's, it. It's, it's a good question because if they don't join he's together talking about joining boards together for say like a top and they don't edge to edge meet up. Yeah. You know, the edges are, are, are not flat at all. So, um, I mean, I guess if you were to joint it, then you got that straight flat edge that would take away from some of it. So it sounds like I'm, I'm picturing like in Tarsa here, you know, where you've got, Intarja? Intarsa. Intarja. Or you're saying, I say Intarja. That's what comes to mind. Is that what he's talking about? I wonder if he's just kind of, or if they're not meeting up properly, but they're just kind of getting close. Maybe. I don't know. That, that's how I'm kind of reading it is like the, the faces are, are I think, just slightly off of each other. So there would be a noticeable line. So I think perhaps that's, just coming in and blending that slightly. That's what I think he's talking about because he's not saying that the edges aren't mating. It's just the surfaces because they're relatively rough. Oh, oh, I see. I they're see. really uneven. So he's using these blending techniques to make them appear as if they are one board. Oh, yeah. I have to do that when the glue up moves. <laughs> <laughs> After I put clamps on, yeah, I was like going to say the middle of the tabletop, and you're like, "No, oh, it's not flush anymore." Yeah, some of so us. So in other uh, words, continue what you're already doing. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> right. Some of us still have that problem, and we have planers and jointers, and you know, are using perfect lumber. Right. It's a, he's got a good point though about the whole domino thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that is it, obviously I don't own one, but that I've been tempted. I've been very tempted, especially for just using it for alignment purposes and gluing up edges and everything. But I mean, when you can just plunge that thing in, stick a, a tenon in and move on. That's awesome. It's basically point and shoot, you know? So if you know these two surfaces are flat and they need what, who cares what the angle is, they need to mate together. Um, you kind of can just point and shoot and make sure you do it the same on both pieces and boom, that thing goes right together. Yeah. Like he's got a, he's got a link too. in here for um, a mushroom wood sliding vine door, barn door. You guys know what mushroom wood is? I have some of that mushroom wood. <laughs> that stuff's that stuff's crazy. It is wild. It looks amazing. And the stuff that he gave me, I, I've been holding on to it because I'm like, it's so, it's it's very lightweight. It's very thin, and it's so like it makes such a statement that you really have to have something in mind as a purpose for this stuff. Otherwise, it, you're not going to figure out what to do with it. You know, and that's that's why their designs, I think, are so creative because you have to be able to incorporate this in a way that makes sense. But if it's done right. These pieces are gorgeous, and it's something that you would never be able to replicate uh, if you're just using standard new materials. Maybe you should use that for a shower seat. I should. Uh, it definitely would have the texture, right? <laughs> Might have some splinters in her butt, but, you know, hey, that's the price you pay for beauty. That's right, exactly. Uh, all right, who's next? All right, oh, I got this next one from Mike T, and Mike T says, I've been, be- I've been binging on old episodes of the podcast and heard you discussing the Lee Valley Veritas Magnetic Dovetail Saw Guide. I considered it, but thought the same as you. It's more of a crutch than a help. So my question is, what is your opinion of the Lee Valley Veritas dovetail saddle markers? I realize that this restricts the user to a given angle, but the spacing would still be up to the user, allowing for a custom look in that respect. Now, I want to start hand-cutting dovetails, but I'm feeling a tad lazy about doing the layout by hand. Yes, I realize there's a contradiction there, according to Mike. So anyways, the way I see it is when it comes down to to using these saddle markers, uh, on the scale of crutches, I don't put them very high. Really, I see them entirely as what they are. They're a a marking tool, and I don't see them as being anything different than if you have one of those fixed uh, fixed angled squares rather than having the adjustable one. This one's totally just the fixed, 
And I, I don't see any, I don't see really any difference. It's just simply a marking tool. Yeah. You'd now, have to not use a bevel gauge under that. Well, yeah, it's exactly. That's the one thing I was thinking. It's, you know, it's not really all that difficult to lay out the lines using a sliding bevel gauge. But if you happen to have one like mine, you just have to breathe on it. And that angle <laughs> will suddenly move it to makes, anything except what you want. It makes for very interesting dovetails. It does. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those. <laughs> if you want a real hand-cut, custom-looking, something like that, use my bevel gauge, and I guarantee they're going to be all <laughs> over the place. makes it very difficult for matching up, but then again, depending on what method you use, you could have a lot of fun playing with all those different angles. Can you imagine? So, what, do you think that would work if you had maybe, uh, let's see, your pins or tails, you've got like a 12-degree angle on one and a 9-degree on the other? That Would that just look like crap? I mean, I know you could do it, but it probably would look dumb, wouldn't it? Uh, well, no, well, that's the that's exactly what Roy Underhill did in his woodworking America thing. Um, he passed around a tool chest, literally passed around an entire tool chest around mm-hmm. the room, and you know it was obvious that this person didn't do any layout. They just went. Yeah, <laughs> they just started sawing. Sure, and like every single like one side of the tail to the other was a different angle, and from one tail to the next was a different angle, and. Yeah, I didn't think it looked that bad to tell you the truth. Well, and if you're looking at the whole thing as a whole, they're all probably close enough. They're only a couple degrees apart, but then something just might look a little odd about it. You know, if it's, if it's, if it's done purpose, purposely, if it's done because you just, you didn't lay it out, you just put the saw down and made your cuts. So it's slightly off here and there. Maybe it looks a little bit better, but it's interesting. I don't know. Well, it could be a situation where what what the design period was it that we talked that last time about like they were always covering up like the end grains and stuff. So Maybe that'd matter. be a situation where you're just yeah. like, just cut it, get it to fit. Don't worry about it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Cool. So, but anyways, when it comes down to it, you know, the, the way I look at this, Mike, like I said, it's a saddle, squ- saddle, mar- saddle markers, saddle squares, whatever you want to call the dang things. They come in all sorts of different angles. Um, yeah, I, I don't see them as being any kind of crutch at all. In fact, if anything, they really just help to make laying out things really easy. Because even if you are using that bevel gauge and it does actually lock in, you still have to come through and do it on one side or the other. And then there's always potential it's going to mess up. Or maybe you're really, really cheap and you only want to use a straight uh, edge. Then you've got to mark at the top and then mark at the bottom. And then now you've got to go through, draw those lines repeat that on the other side, repeat it on X number of uh, drawers you're going to do. The way I look at it is it's a time saver. It's uh, accurate. And if anything, in the end, the only thing that's going to be really messed up, it won't be because I drew the lines crooked. It's going to be because I cut crooked. So I at least want (laughs) one thing in there that works in my favor. One constant would be nice. (laughs) Yeah, just so that way I can say at least they started that way and my saw maybe has a kink in the blade and that's why I'm having these cut problems. Now, another thing he mentioned was the whole thing with the angles and yes, these saddle uh, markers do have a fixed angle on it. But to be honest, I bought the, uh, was it the one to eight ratio? I think it's the one that I have. And I was convinced I needed to go back and get the others because I read an article, blah, 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 all this other stuff. Um, Once I started using that one, uh, it it, it works for everything. So I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Honestly, how often are you really varying your, you know, your angle there? It's usually, I mean, for me, it's usually one to eight. And if I do anything different, it's just because I'm bored of the one to eight. So, (laughs) and again, how many people are going to look at that and go, oh my gosh. That is a that's a one to eight, and you should be using a one to seven or a uh, one yeah. to three. What's wrong with you? <clears throat> totally. Yeah, I think they're great. I think it all comes down to spacing ultimately. It right, and it does totally allow you for that spacing. You could have one big one or several small ones in the same amount of space, but regardless, you're coming in super fast with those things. Yeah. 
Janet. You know, while we're on this topic, because I remember when we brought this up about the whole the the sawing magnetic sawing guide, mm-hmm. and that certainly posed some kickback at the time. But uh, I'm about to put my money where my mouth is because David Barron <gasps> sent me some of those guides to try. Um, I've only made like three cuts with them so far, but uh, I'm hoping to do some kind of video on that in the future. So if anybody hears this and goes, well, what about those sawing guides? There'll be something soon. Cool. Mm, nice. All right. Can't wait to see where your money goes. Where your mouth goes. <laughs> this is from Gerard. He says, I'm making long-term plans to build a proper workbench, like a Rubo split-top Rubo. These plans are necessarily long-term because of my budget. My question is this. Can I purchase eight-quarter stock incrementally, say 16 board feet or one board per month, and just accrue material until I have enough to start the workbench? Are there dangers to purchasing lumber at different times and keeping in my decidedly not climate-controlled garage shop? Or would I be better just uh, better off just putting that 16 board feet worth of money into a piggy bank until I can buy the whole order at once? Yes. Um, um, it, since you're talking about a workbench here, and let's be honest, we don't have to pay that much attention to color and grain matching in a workbench. I would say, you know, you can go ahead and buy one board at a time or 16 board feet at a time and set it aside. I don't think you really need to worry too much about, um, you know, stacking it in a, in a not climate controlled garage. There are very, very few lumber yards that are climate controlled that I know of. Um, even the whole, like, what is it? Lowe's says indoor lumber yard. Yeah, well, it's not climate controlled in there. So it's not going to hurt the lumber. The problem would be if you bought that board, milled it and set it aside and then bought another one and milled it and set it aside. That may not that may not be good for you. Um, you may have trouble getting a good color match across the bench top. But again, if it's a workbench, who cares? The only other thing I would say is don't expect the price you paid for that first board to be the same of the 10th board or the 11th board because lumber prices change constantly. So it's one of those things where, you know, you probably will get a better deal per board foot board foot if you bought more lumber. But most places that doesn't really kick in until you get to around 100 board feet. So if that's not possible, if it's not possible to buy that volume of lumber, I don't think it matters. You can lay it away one board at a time or, or whatever. Just, just don't, um, don't mill those boards. Do all the milling at once. Cool. Cool. All right. I think that, uh, wraps up the email. So if you want to support the show, you can do that. Just go to woodtalkshow.com and look for the donation links. We appreciate that support. And also you can buy a wood talk t-shirt. If you go to twwstore.com, you can pick up one of those and you can also, if you want to leave us an iTunes review. So head to the iTunes store and search for wood talk. You'll find our, our little uh, entry there in the directory and click that five star rating, just like gearhead and Ron from pigsty productions. And uh, that's a great name. And Ron had this to say, um, I love the podcast. Listen to my shop while I'm working rather than music. It was through Matt's basement workshop that I found the wood whisperer and the Renaissance woodworker. Great team guys. Well, thank you, Ron. We appreciate that. Thank you, Matt. Yes. You're you're welcome. Thank you for the referral, Matt. We always appreciate that. Anytime you want to send referrals my way, Matt, you can do that. I will see what I can do. Um, Do you have a link available? Maybe I can use. (laughs) No, no, not good enough for a link. Uh, But Matt, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question or topic suggestion? There's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. 
email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And just as a friendly reminder, as you just heard there from, uh, who's it, Pigsty Productions? Pigsty Productions. Ron from Pigsty? Yep. You know, we all, all three of us happen to have our own our own websites. There's uh, Mark over at thewoodwhisperer.com. There's Shannon over at renaissancewoodworker.com. And there's me at Matt's Basement Workshop, where it always gets you everywhere else you want to be. That's right. It's the center of the universe, as far as right. I'm concerned. It, you get there, and you immediately go, wrong place, and you type <laughs> in anything. It's the best <laughs> launching point that you've ever seen. <laughs> get me out of right. here. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. See ya. Hey everyone, Mark here. I've got a little favor to ask. We're running an anonymous survey to help better match our show with potential advertisers. Yeah, no one loves advertising, but this survey is going to prevent us from running ads for knitting suppliers and stretchy pants manufacturers. The survey takes just a minute or two to fill out, and it'll really help us in our mission to make the show successful for years to come. Plus, Matt's tacos aren't paying for themselves. Listeners who complete the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. We promise not to share your email address, and we won't send you email unless you win. Please go to podsurvey.com slash wood. That's podsurvey.com slash wood to take our survey and get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.